Yo, is this thing on? Man, whatever. Walk with me. Welcome back to Walk with TFB. Tim Bryson here, and as y'all know, I'm a black millennial who's eager to have unfiltered conversation with authentic people centered on international education, global sport, and black culture. Today's guest, we got someone who I've known, at least digitally, speaking to this person's research in a few minutes, so probably 20 minutes, but digitally since 2020 when we started our doc programs together. Now, this individual and really this leader and scholars um, at our rifle school, which we'll, of course, talk shit about later, but doing phenomenal work, right? Phenomenal, phenomenal work you know, in many different areas that, quite honestly, I think more uh, current athletes, former athletes, and really just Black people uh, need to think more critically about from a scholarship perspective given that there is a lot of learning, knowledge, community that is being built and shared um, in these spaces. But I'm not going to take your research, nor do I want it, because I want to learn everything about it over these next 40 minutes, Jasmine. But without further ado, y'all help me welcome future Dr. Jasmine Banks. What's popping on me? Hello. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk. Just talk shit, honestly. Can I curse? I'm sorry. You can say, I'm not cutting <laughs> that out either. You can say whatever the hell, whatever the hell you want. This <laughs> Uh, listen this is a black digital space okay, okay. You feel me? Yeah. period good to see good to see you like i said three segments yo and again there's so much learning and again people that know you know that you have a lot to share because of course you had a you have had have still use a youtube channel i still i still have a youtube you know what I'm videos saying? coming soon so you're not shy you did definitely come on soon you definitely not shy so segment one yo talk to us what's your story Oh, woo, what a loaded question. Well, I'm Jasmine. Um, I'm 26. I am, I don't know if y'all need to know that, but I am a fourth year candidate at University of Michigan in psychology. I'm also part of the Digital Studies Institute and Digital Studies program here. Um, and I like, should I tell you more about me? Like Mimi? Like this is you. This is your podcast. Okay. I get to facilitate. Yeah, come on now. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess more about me personally. Um, I'm Taiwanese Nigerian. I was born and raised in Taipei. Uh, my my mom's Taiwanese. My birth dad is uh, Nigerian. I was adopted, and then I moved. When I came to the states, I lived in Florida, um, where I I was the rest of my life until I came to grad school in Michigan, um, and then I went to. Florida International University in Miami, where I did track. Um, and like like Tim said earlier, started um, grad school in 2020. We are the OG COVID cohort. And I think since then, my research has switched a bunch. Um, honestly, a whole bunch has switched. Now I also do competitive powerlifting. Um, I have a meet coming up in a few months. Um, I had to find something to do. <laughs> after track that was like a really hard transition for me um and yeah so i'm get, i'm excited to talk more about all this today it's super dope so you mentioned florida how oh. how were you introduced to track because most people like they had an off season one to condition some people started when they had three or four which is mind-blowing to me but what's your journey <laughs> what's your journey in the track track and field yeah so i my, my older, so when we were still in Taiwan, my older sister did track there. Um, and that's like kind of my first exposure to the sport. And when I came, I think I joined track in middle school. Um, it was one of the few things that we had, like one of the few sports that we had in our elementary, I mean, our middle school. Um, so that's when I first started. <clears throat> and then um, our high school, middle school, I, I, 
I lived in a small town in Sarasota, Florida. So like mm-hmm. um, our middle school and high school were across from each other. And then the middle school to- coach told the high school coach that I was good. And then I just joined the team in, in high school. And that's kind of how I, how I got into it. So it wasn't track is my first sport. So it, it wasn't something I did in off season conditioning and training. It was just like, it was what I did. And um, in high school, I did other sports as well. So I also did weightlifting in high school. It's a, it's a sport in Florida. Um, and then I did, I cheered for a little bit, weird time in my life. <laughs> so you, you, you did track, of course you got, we got, got recruited or walked on, but why FIU? Yeah. So I, I did, um, I was a preferred walk on, so I did, I walked on my, well, I get, yeah. So I walked on, uh, my first year with gone scholarship and in my first year, um, and why FIU, honestly, I can't, I can't remember much about what I was doing in high school, my senior high school, applying for, for high for schools were, was just like a, honestly, it was a fever dream. I don't really know, but I know how I ended up, um, getting to FIU for track was, I guess, very similar approach to, I guess, how I network and every other aspect of my life. So I, um, reached out to a bunch of coaches. So I was a senior and I reached out to a bunch of coaches. I emailed like 40, 50 coaches. And then wow. I ended up um, talking with my my coach at FIU and he was going to Florida Relays. You know, Florida Relays is a big meet. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a high school, college pro meet. So mm-hmm. um, he was there with the team. I was there with with my high school. We, I met him there. And he, because it was... Um, Fuller Relays is usually in like February, March, April, I don't know, sometime towards the end of the year. So mm-hmm. by then, like he had already filled up all of the spots for like for the team, but he still wanted me to be on the team. So I was a preferred walk on. So like, I don't know if I need to explain what preferred walk on is, but basically um, prior, like I was already a part of the team before classes started. So I, I like, I started with the team um, at like, so the whole recruiting process minus the scholarship. Um, and then yeah, so that's kind of how I met him. And YFIU, besides me reaching out to a bunch of coaches, um, there were, I also, even though it was a fever dream, I was also still um, invested in my education. And I know FIU had um, had good programs and it was close. Um, they accepted me, <laughs> one of the big things. There were mm-hmm. a few other IVs that I was, or like other schools that I was getting recruited by, but I couldn't get in academically so that's that's it was a mixture of all of those things yeah now you're the number one public school and yeah i'm gonna call it number one public school despite our differences of course but one thing you did do at fiu or what did participate in uh, was the mcnair program and mm-hmm. i remember being in south carolina and i had a few friends who did mcnair and i kind of knew about it but then in my grad program definitely learned more about it. i'm like oh shit like this is really like a training ground for this doc experience you really stepped straight into from undergrad so how were you introduced to McNair? Given that's a very, um, very important, I'm sure, moment. You know, get helping you get to this doctoral space as well. Yeah, definitely. When I uh, was in my sophomore year, so by then I was already on the track team. I um, was doing fine with that, and then I was like, well, I feel like I should do something more with school. I don't know. So then I just looked around our website and I was like, I guess, what can I do? Like, I didn't know much Um, as like, I've gotten farther in my grad program. I realized how much I didn't know. And this is like, what we talk about with the hidden curriculum, invisible barriers and all of those things, because people know like about grad school 
in, when they're like in high school. I did not know that was a thing. I didn't know what any of this was until my sophomore year. I was just looking around our website and then um, I saw that there were research labs. So then I looked at a bunch of the labs that we had available at FIU. I saw two that I was interested in. I applied to them and then that's how I got into my undergrad advisor's lab. And she honestly is still probably one of my favorite people. I could definitely not be here without her. She was my role model and she was very like, like when I joined, she was very, she was already like planning ahead. So when I joined, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what RA is. I don't really know what research looks like. And she's like, no, it's fine. Like you could, we could train you. You could join the McNair program. You'll learn about research. You'll learn about um, grad school. And then like, you could be on this project. You could do this. So she was very hands-on with that. And she was very, like, there was already, I feel like I joined her lab and then got into the pipeline because everything else from there was pretty streamlined because, um, McNair's at every school work a little bit differently, but at FIU was a two-year program and she was really involved in it. So that's kind of how I got into McNair. And that, um, I was, like I said, it was a two-year program. So that's kind of why I started my documenting a lot of my grad school journey was because a lot of the resources that I had through McNair and through my lab. Um, so when I started my Instagram, I started posting kind of academic stuff, kind of like my senior year, but it wasn't really for reals until I got into grad school. And then I would like make a few posts, just like randomly talking about my grad school ex application experience. And then people were like, oh, wait, how'd you do that? Like, where do I go for that? So then that's kind of my, how I started to share more about like the back end and all the stuff I was learning was brand new to me too. So I figured it was new to other people who didn't have programs like McNair. Wow, super dope. So before we move to segment two, I mean, you did the undergrad bridge year, I call it bridge year, not a gap year, but bridge year, and then mm -hmm. dot. Like, mm -hmm. why well, not master's? I, I didn't, um, I graduated in December 2019, and then I started grad school in August. Um, so that, the eight months was supposed to be the time for me to turn up. That did not happen. Because <laughs> then we went right into quarantine. Yeah, right into grad that. school. I, I I signed my apartment without even seeing it because I was five states away. So oh yeah, I didn't even I forgot about that. That's why the transition was really hard for me out of track because I was planning to do a fifth year. So I graduated in December. I was still I I figured out a way to finesse the system to still be considered a student and be eligible to do track. Um, and then I started. I mean, I just like basically continued training because I. Finished my eligibility in May of 2019. So I didn't do anything um, yep. in, the, in the fall because I was just going to do indoor because um, mm -hmm. I had another season. But mm -hmm. yeah, so that's why the transition was really hard because it just randomly ended on like a Tuesday and it was like, oh, yep. Anyways. This is interesting. This is very good. So why, I might even say yeah, but why a PhD and not a master's? Like, what went in that decision between going into a master's program versus going straight to a dot? Um, I feel like, so in the McNair, like, you, they basically tell you and, like, prepare you to apply for a PhD program. Wow. Um, so it kind of just made sense. And I didn't really ever think about doing a master's because I know I didn't want to do um counseling clinical, and mm -hmm. I didn't want to be, like, I didn't want to be a social worker. And those mm -hmm. are, like, the terminal. Um, That's, like kind of more of the applied or I guess a big focus of the master's is just to like learn training to be able to like be a therapist to be a social worker and I did not want to do that I wanted to do research 
Wow, super dope. Segment two, getting into more of your research. So when you apply to the program, uh, what did you think? What did you think you're going to research when you apply? Right, your personal statement. How is? <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah. So when I was at FIU, a lot of my work um, was around different social issues. So I um, worked with women who were experiencing homelessness. Um, mm-hmm. I worked with several several um, shelters in in Miami. I had this really big project with Pepsi. Um, they so I met one of like the I don't know somebody important in Pepsi when I presented my McNair um, project at the time, which was looking at girl power, which is an after-school program um, in Miami. And what I did in that project was kind of like a program evaluation, talking with the girls that were there and seeing how they felt about the program and what they wanted in their programming and what was missing. Um, and it ended up being really, really informative. Um, and a big thing were things that like the adults didn't even think about. Um, for example, like having, so how the program works is like they have a bus, like their bus drops them off at the facilities and then they have a driver um, that takes them home at like, I don't know, six, seven or something. But that driver was a male and that was a big problem for these like 12, 13 year old girls. Um, but the staff didn't know that. Anyway, so that was like th- that project. I presented that. Somebody at Pepsi was like, wait, like we're we're interested in, we work with Girl Power, we're interested in similar type of of project around the issue of food insecurity and um, nutrition um, because they were working with, so I worked with Pepsi co-foundations. I mean, obviously I figured people would know that, but um, a big thing that they do is um, programming and like creating programs, sustaining programs around food and food, nutrition, whatever. So then they gave me a big grant, which I don't know why they would give a 20 year old that much money to do something when I had no training and no experience, but he had a lot of faith. So with that project, I ended up developing um, a, a nutrition curriculum um, and the day, the week it was supposed to happen, the country shut down. So that, I don't even want to talk about that shit because it was like, it was at the point where we had journalists, photographers, we had news press, we had materials bought, we had them already shipped to the facilities. And then I vividly remember this was like, um, like around, I don't know, like February, March, whatever. And then I get a call from him, like the person I was working with. And they were like, oh, like, um, I think that we're going to push this back a little bit. We don't really know what's happening with this like coronavirus thing. Um, and we're like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. We even had like a rescheduled date for the launch. Never happened. But anyways, so that was a lot of my research. That was like all of my research prior to coming to FI, I mean, coming to Michigan. And that was similar things that I wanted to do here. Um, and when I applied, I knew that my advisors didn't have similar research interests, but they were willing to support me. And one of the another area that um, I was interested in doing research, which I kind of did, um, was around sports and student athletes. Um, so my co-advisors, I, I already I came knowing I would have two and one of them was interested in that. Um, and then blase, 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 blase. Long story short, people in psych here don't do that type of research. So a lot of people don't do purchase reaction research, um, not a lot of qual research. And um, it during COVID, it was really hard to like be in a new city and get to know community organizations, um, given, you know, it was just a very short time, things were online. Um, so then I was like, well, I guess I need to graduate. So I just kind of 
um, we had an ongoing project in one of my labs and the things I was interested in, he was like, well, whatever you're interested in with this like already prepared survey before we launch it, think about that. And the things I was interested in was about social media um, and digital use. And thus my new research area was born. I'm sorry, this was so long. <laughs> I told you, this is your podcast. As long as it don't cross an hour, I mean, you can go hour 15 if you wanted to, but this is your podcast. I just get to again, listen and facilitate. Yeah, I could talk. I could talk now. I'll I'm glad. Listen, you were I me. Mean, you're a YouTuber. Where R M was YouTuber. Where's that at? Let's talk about that for a second. Where's the YouTube page at? <laughs> Where's the YouTube channel at? Well, it's up. So oh. the reason I stopped making videos was because it was really discouraging. Because YouTube videos are not the same as like Instagram or TikToks. Like they take a long time to make, and it's like really different making sit down talking videos or like vlogs. Um, so I did get a camera recently and I have filmed some stuff, but the issue was I didn't have enough storage on my computer so I can edit the footage, but there is another video coming as soon as I remember my SD card to the campus computer so I can upload it. <laughs> get the inside scoop. So it's up there. It. <laughs> I, I didn't make videos for a while. Yeah, no, but, I, yeah. I get that. I, I started focusing yeah, I started focusing more on Instagram and TikTok and also like it's making money there. So um, I was like, well, YouTube, but I'm really close to a thousand subscribers. So, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely subscribed. So you talk about pivoting your research um, to this digital arena. And as I read your bio on Twitter verbatim, it says black digital cultures, online dating and sports. And so before we go any further, for those who may not uh, be familiar in your own words, what is a Black digital culture? You know, that is a good question. And that is, I guess, the question that I I that's, I try to answer in the first half of my dissertation. So um, I, yeah, but I don't know. I guess that, that is like the question that, I, that I'm trying to answer and something that I'm trying to focus on. And in the first study, what I, the, the main question driving that study was, what are the characteristics of Black digital culture? How do you know when something's Black digital culture? And how do you know? when you like how can you recognize something as being black um mm. in the digital so that that was the question of of that study and um so for that i did five focus groups um with 20 black social media users and it was really interesting and um some of the characteristics i can share with you briefly is um the idea of if you know you know so that's like one of the main themes and the the I guess a big driving point of this dissertation um and trying to understand the more felt experience and um, the more intuitive aspects of Black culture and like just what Blackness in general and what that looks like in the digital. Um, so a big thing with, so with the idea of if you know, you know, a lot of participants, a lot of people say, oh, I just, I can recognize it. There's something about it that just signals Blackness. Something about it signals something that's familiar, something I, I know well, something that is like close, something that's like not a foreign feeling like you just kind of know um and that was like verbatim what someone said like if you it's just like if you know you know type of thing like if you don't know you don't know um and what does that mean so um i guess what i'm trying to argue is that that in itself is impactful and that in itself is a thing of the felt experience the um just being able to recognize something as black um and other things that that we found of what is Black digital culture. Um, it's a big part of a big part of it is relationality and the way that 
um, people in Black communities are um, engaged with each other, even if they don't know know each other. Um, so we can think about like Black Twitter and how it's not like a, a, a legit space, but it's recognized as a space. And we talk about Black Twitter as we or them. So, yeah. So I told you, there's not too many people in this, in this honestly, world who could probably um, encourage or really force me to change my research, but you're one of them. Because this is literally <laughs> has my brain is like, yo, I have so many, because it's a psych program, right? Yeah. Like psych, a lot not of social? what I do isn't actually in psych. Like, I have to do a lot of convincing in psych that what I do and what I want to do is science. I feel that in my student affairs programs, talking about international athletes, which whole another conversation. But when, as you've been getting deeper into this work, how has learning more or really just exploring more about Black digital cultures um, changed or influenced your use on social or digital mm -hmm. environments? Yeah, it has a lot, I would say, particularly my research on online dating. Um, that's the other research area of mine. So um, looking at Black women's experiences with online dating. So from the first study, we're writing a few papers. One of them is on the experiences of fetishization, um, and what that looks mm -hmm. like at the intersection of the internet. Um, the other paper is looking at um, languages of Black love. And that one, I think there hasn't been a lot of experiences that have made me think about who that like have impacted me that it's like it's been getting to me and I feel like I've I've always interviewed I've, I've always done very heavy research of like people who were experiencing homelessness assault food insecurity all those things but for some reason the research on black love has probably been more profound on me than any of my other research has because I guess I've never put my own experiences in context in this way in my personal like intimate life so to see my experiences represented in in a way that's like the research topic um and then on top of that a lot like almost all of the literature on black women and dating is on statistics of low marriage rates of black women and black people high cohabitation rates below um marriage rates but high co cohabitation rates that lead into single parenthood like why is that even like who did that what are you doing and i think what i'm noticing with this research is that even though it might be research that's done to say this is what's happening if we don't contextualize it then it becomes comes this narrative and now there is this narrative of black women being undesirable hard to marry hard to date hard to find a partner hard to be with um and like i forgot what your question was but <laughs> no so i'm already taking notes you see me right i'm learning the question was like how how your research both with uh, black digital cultures and online dating research oh my experience has... is online okay yeah. <laughs> okay i think um a lot of what i also get into in my own research is algorithms um and just how things show up um and what shows up so i think i have a lot more intentionality of how i'm i guess processing the things that i'm seeing um and like how I let it like how much I let it impact me because I don't think that people realize on a day-to-day -day basis when when it, these are small cumulative things that happen that lead up into 
our experience and our dominant narrative about the digital. So um, I think for me, I, especially when I'm like going through it and I see videos that's like upsetting, right? And then I watch it, I'm like, dang, reading the comments. So then I get more of that content and then it becomes all of that. Um, and then I have to take a second and be like, whoa, I'm already upset. I'm bringing my upset self to this space. And as I'm engaging with this upset mindset, it's giving me more content, which is going to be a feedback loop, which is how algorithms work. So that's why it's so funny when people, especially the tarot card readers on TikTok say, if if this is on your page, it's for you. That's like, I guess in a way it is because you are engaging on purpose and getting more of that content, but it's not because it's by chance for you. It's very intentional. Yeah. So yeah, I guess so, I just think a lot about that. You want to go faculty? Yeah, I could. I think one of these tech companies or social media companies might try to snatch you up, bro. <laughs> yeah, I think I that was so I guess between UX and yeah. tenure track, I guess. I would yeah. ideally like to do both. I don't think I'd want to do one over the other, but I think I would like to do both. Well, that's a prayer, so I'll say amen. Um, but one thing you're talking, one thing you were saying about um community, right? And this this loop, as far as it's always the comments. It's all it's always the comments. The comments is what gets <laughs> the comments. What people is what keeps people engaged. And I don't know when or why or how that started, but it is. But where have you found community digitally? Like either which platforms, or which ones have you created? Like where have you found community? For me. Definitely on Instagram. So I would say it's a space that I created and a space that I, one I created, but also when I kind of joined into of um, like the academic Instagram sphere. So like I said, when I started my Instagram, I was just like posting like random like snippets. Um, but I really started the, this page as a bullet journal page. But a lot of what I would do or talk about was school. So like a bullet journal is like a planner that you draw out and that you create yourself. So as I was doing that, a lot of the things that were included was school stuff. And then um, because I was posting more about school stuff, I ended up getting a lot more accounts and a lot of things that show up in my feed related to academics. So then I was like, oh, like there's people really doing this. And then um, I started posting more. So then I like would like, I guess I can kind of, I'm kind of able to pinpoint, like I would say my cohort on the academic Instagram sphere, because it was the time I started grad school was the time where I like started following a bunch of other people who were starting grad school. So during COVID, it was like a big, a big thing, I guess, Uh, I guess it was a growing thing of people sharing their academic experiences and making these type of content. Um, So I kind of hopped on during that time and then kind of grew with a bunch of these other people who I now like do workshops with and stuff. So I think it's a, it's a big community. um, And I think the space I've carved out in it, I definitely really appreciate. um, And I'm grateful for, I think it's because I'm really honest and I'm really transparent about stuff that I go through. So like, I don't really sugarcoat, really anything so I'll talk about how much I get paid post my stipend I will like talk about how I who I email how I email them I'll talk about my like day-to-day and I'll talk about like when people say doing data analysis on interviews what does that look like what does that mean um so I do a lot more of those back around back 
I guess like background behind the scenes things um, that give people a good idea of what grad school is like. So that space, and I think an academic Twitter as well. I remember I made that, um, I was at a summer, I, I was at an NSF summer program in 2019 before I applied. Um, and they were like, oh, like there's a bunch of academics uh, on Twitter. It's like almost like academic Twitter. So I initially made a separate Twitter. Um, and during that time, people were like really getting onto Twitter. Um, again, COVID quarantine. And I, same thing that I did with reaching out to coaches to apply, like to, to talk to them about getting a scholarship. I did that on my Twitter where I would say like, oh, can somebody read my applications and read my essays? And then like full-blown professors would just like read my shit and give me feedback. So like I had professors from Duke, professors from like USC, just like reading my shit, giving me feedback. Um, so that was like a big community because then I was able to like meet a bunch of people and then people would like send me things. People I didn't know would be like, oh, I know you do this, like here's this. So I think both spaces have been really important for me um, and probably where I get most of my excitement from. <laughs> no, legit. I mean, I followed you on Twitter. I didn't, I didn't even follow you on Instagram yet. So I'm about to go through and follow, see what kind of, I'm looking at stuff now. I'm like, this is dope. And it's definitely needed. I think one thing I talk about a lot um, is digital community building. Because to your point, like during, 20, during 2020, like I, I knew seven other Black students starting their PhDs at the same time. Like we got to meet. Like we got to find community. But I never, I've never thought about it or even explored to think about the, the culture. Like how do we know it's community? Like I know, I call it community, but do y'all feel the same way, right? Or do others feel the same way? And I think seeing what you've done, oh, go ahead. Oh no, I wasn't saying anything. Oh yeah, but seeing what you've done is like, I'm just very intrigued because I think from a, a lot of different ways we talk about, you know, whether it's like separating personal, professional Twitter or Instagram or thinking about our faculty and our respective program or why the respective programs are across the, you know, the, the country in this case. Like I feel like it's more millennial Gen Z who's really embraced digital uh, platforms to find and build community when before it was like the whole you know passing out business cards you know what i mean like it's, it's, it's very it's been very um interesting to see it one transform over time but then two at least in my own personal experience like challenge and really question faculty but like yeah, no like no like this my community is on twitter like my community is on instagram my, my the ipa way is my community where i talk about boom 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 like i don't have to be with what you, what you did back in the 80s 90s yeah. or 2000s you know what i mean like so that's been very interesting to watch you do I love it. So I'll tell you this, Jasmine, because one thing I, I told myself, I said, if I ever got to, well, I would never do a PhD ever again, ever, but <laughs> <laughs> ever. One and done for sure. One and done for sure. But if I ever got to write a paper on anything, or if I had to do a different program, I would do sociology, number one. And I would like my question or research or focus on dating apps in particular, but like, like why people swipe, you know, left or right, experiences of first dates from dating apps like I'm just very intrigued in that space mm -hmm. so as you think about your own research on in the online dating space like what are some questions that you either may not either one have not researched yet that you you know want to explore and or two questions that you may be exploring now that like have you like yo like this is some this is some wild shit like this is really some shit right now oh yeah almost all of it every aspect <laughs> yo. some crazy shit so to your point about like why people swipe so in my study i did a walkthrough method which um i had participants open up a dating app and then narrate to me what they were seeing and have them like <sighs> slow down and like think why they would swipe um and it was interesting because almost all the participants said that they have never like 
slowed down or like taken more than maybe like 10, 10 minutes max on someone's profile, but it's, it's usually like a boom, 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 boom. Um, but it's interesting because all our participants talked about doing that and they did that, but then at the same time, they were really aware of the quick judgments and rule of thumbs that people would make about them. So that was seen as like a downfall of the app, even though that's what they also did, but that also played a big role in how they presented themselves. So again, working with black women, how, and then we asked them, um, well, how do you set up your profiles? And a lot of them gave really elaborate answers about how they would account for hairstyles, making sure they have pictures with multiple hairstyles, whether, um, and, and like showing different sides of them and being intentional about like, whether they include or don't include social justice um, causes in their bios and like what filters they were gonna like, what like, like aspects they were gonna include in their profile. Um, and then one of the things we asked, so I thought that was interesting of just like most people saying they have never actually stopped to think about each person as a person to like connect and match with beyond just like, you know, a quick thing. Um, and one of the questions I asked is how do you, how can you recognize someone as a safe person to match with online? Um, being a black woman, um, being, you know, in the US. Um, and there were a lot of rule of thumbs and cues that women use. And my favorite by far, which I don't know, no, it has to be a title somewhere, is almost all of the 20 women we interviewed said, if it's a person holding up a fish, automatic no. A fish, a gun, or an animal. And then if the person has group, if it's a, even if it's a black person, but if the person has a group photo and they're the only person of color or either they're the only person of color or there are no people of color or just one kind of person of color, they're not gonna match with them. Um, and they use like context clues in their pictures um, and in their filters. Um, so I think that was really interesting. Um, and just the blatant, blatant racism of men just saying, no black women or really coded language of high value women. Um, one of our participants literally said like, when men say they want to high value women, most of the time they're not thinking about black women. Um, and those type of, I guess kind of cues and I guess things that just become normal. And a lot of them are rooted in stereotypes are like, you know, historical stereotypes. Again, nothing on the digital is new. It's a new medium, but the things that's happened in them are all the same it's really good that's really really good where are you on your your doc journey right now huh mm. i'm supposed to have a prospectus and defend soon well not this semester but soon <laughs> what impact do you want what impact or role or uh, place do you want your research to have Mm, that's a good question. I think um, I want to be intentional about being interdisciplinary to um, bring a lot more vibrancy to even just digital studies. Um, so like right now I'm taking Black women's history, which is a history course, um, very far from like a digital studies class. But um, a lot of what I'm learning is helping me a lot with my research and how I like, and also how I show up as a researcher. So I think um, I want to be intentional about being interdisciplinary and kind of building on what's already been done and thinking about the digital 
um, as a space where I guess not so much just the digital, but I think a lot about Black culture, Black digital culture, and how the mechanisms in Black digital culture are part of a larger cultural th- phenomenon and cultural ideologies, cultural ideas. Um, and I think I, I want to expand on that and start thinking about a framework for Black digital world building, which is what I'm going to attempt to do in my dissertation. Now I say out loud, it sounds crazy. Mm, do just it. to clarify, you said, just to clarify, you said Black digital world building? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does so that mean? Guess, so what I'm thinking, how I, I've conceptualized it is if we think about the digital, the internet as um, our own ecosystems, right? So if we all have our own ecosystems, we we probably don't use the same apps, but there are apps that you use that's in your ecosystem um, and how people, I'm thinking about pr- Black people in particular, how they use different apps um, independently and also in tandem um, and how they start to create either a extension of their offline worlds or to create a different world that they don't, that doesn't exist yet, or to join a world where things are like, like where they're around more of the same people or like just whatever they want it to be. So thinking about how black people create their digital worlds and digital environments, because even now, because social media is still really new, a lot of people think about these Instagram as its own thing, Twitter as its own thing, TikTok as its own thing, but it's like, that's not the case. Um, and everything is kind of like, becomes a part of, for, for me, my own ecosystem of like how I show up on LinkedIn could be very different than how I show up on Facebook, but those are two different aspects of me and my own world, you know? And then how that's situated in like the larger context of the world. <laughs> if you ever need someone to talk to or just listen about your research bro just call me <laughs> like this 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 shit is so interesting to me dog because like literally because i got three instagrams i'm about to yeah i got three instagrams two twitters a tiktok a linkedin a facebook i'm like but to your point i know on my IP, my beer page i'm like all right the community wants this they're looking to this on my walk with tv page you're looking to this on my tim bryce looking to this but like for me i'm like well damn bro like it's all you, but you're having to like to to parse out parts of you to show up in in a isolated space, which becomes very exhausting. Yeah. As far as creating content and posting and responding. Yeah. But then I, me- I I mean I assume that you also have your digital harbors where you are not doing any of those things, but you're just existing or you're just not lurking yet. or you're just not yet. Watching. Not yet. Not yet. And that's I think that's what my beer page. I just told my friend is I said my beer page needs to be fun. It wasn't fun, so I stopped posting on that page. I'm like, why am I thinking about fucking captions and shit, bro? Like, just post beer. Like, you literally create this page to post beer. So you built a whole community on posting beer. Get back to posting beer. Yeah. So I don't have any harbors yet. So I'm glad. See, this is why I want to talk to you. This is exactly why I want to talk to you. Two more questions, though, before we close out. Um, what do you want more people to know about digital studies research? Hmm. What do I want people to know about it? Um, or take away or remember about it. That, mm, mm, that is a valid space. Um, and I guess that also seems very, very simplified. But I think when the internet was starting, um, a big part of the discourse and the and like the thought around it was that it's like a, a race neutral, bias free no discrimination space 
like the famous quote, nobody knows your dog on the, wait, nobody on the internet knows your dog, right? Um, because you could be whoever and you don't know who people are. And that is true, obviously. And that whole idea is like, I guess, I guess that whole idea gives it like a kind of a playful and like, not serious sense um and i guess what i want i guess what i think i would want people to know especially i guess i'm speaking more towards researchers of just in general that the digital is a valid place because even now there's a lot of pushback um in some areas and some fields about research on the digital on the internet um of like oh that's just twitter like it's just this and it's just that and like it could be just that but also that in itself is meaningful um yeah and last one before you go to segment three, uh, <laughs> at least one misconception about digital studies research. So you, as you're hearing the discourse, you mentioned some pushback, but like, what are some things that people are pushing or the agendas are otherwise that are just simply not true? Mm, I would say that it's a theoretical um, and like that what people do in digital studies is just like build apps and like create algorithms and um the more work in python only and like the more techie aspects like it's it's a lot more than that as well i love it i love it i love it segment three so we get you out of here and us out of here and get this podcast mm -hmm. published because i'm like i said i'm whenever you want to talk about this please i'm gonna hit you up like bro i got a question i, I want to learn i i got so much i'm thinking about right yeah. now but um sure segment three though very important question how can i best support you how can our podcast community best support you your work your humanity right your essence like how can we best support you um i think supporting me across my platforms um whether that's like watching reposting retweeting whatever um for whatever platform supporting me on social media reading my research citing me <laughs> um guess inviting me to talks if one shows up if an opportunity presents itself um i think those are the primary ways of supporting me um through social media through my my research and opportunities because i mean you literally i'm crossing back over to sport before we close out but like this whole nil conversation right and content creation blah 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 whatever like people yeah no but <laughs> that's a whole hour-long lecture for in itself but the the i think more recent conversation has been on helping athletes build digital community build create sustain digital communities but the people teaching them how to build content don't know how to do that nor have the same background knowledge expertise that you do and have have, have already done you know what i mean so yeah. i think this, uh, there's definitely yeah. a space yeah i definitely was when nil passed when it became a, a, a thing I definitely tried to reach out to um, the Black Student Athlete Summit um, and similar type of student athlete oriented marketing places mm -hmm. and like organizations, because I feel like I could be really useful for that because my research is like all about the digital and a big aspect. And a, a lot of the stuff that I have researched about was student athletes and just athletes in the digital um, and I don't know. Nobody got back to me. So, but yes, I'm definitely. And I think, huh? I'm on it, but go ahead. Um, I was going to say like, 
the whole NIL thing, I think that it's definitely interesting. I was a mentor here for the football team. Um, and I know some of some other athletes here and it's like, like I've been saying, the whole point I'm trying to make is that things that are happening in a different, in a different space does not mean it's new things. It's very clear to see how black student athletes are facing really unique types of inequality when it comes to NIL. They don't like, and a lot of this becomes a cultural thing becomes like part of a larger thing, like a larger system, right? Because black student athletes don't have access or they don't know ways to get certain um, agents. They don't have access to these things, but homeboy over there, you know, he's white, his mom has money. He has an agent and, and like those type of things when it's not regulated, even the things that happen or are supposed to just happen, NIL, whatever, the digital, it still has really offline, really big offline impacts too. I love that. I love that. So I'll oh. be sure to include all of oh, go ahead. Oh no, you're good. I thought you I thought you were muted. Oh, I'll go ahead and include all of your um social information as well as your link tree as well. I know people are gonna have questions. Yeah, I have and, a lot and, of socials. And they're gonna want you to speak. <laughs> My fitness, my fitness Instagram, my academic Instagram, my academic Twitter, my original Twitter. Oh, I used to make rolling trays. My rolling tray Instagram because I have an Etsy shop. Let me go. You used to make what? Um, rolling trays. I also make stickers now, but I used to make rolling trays. <laughs> so random, I know. Oh, also, random. I know another way to support me. Buy my stickers. Yeah. Oh, this one says Black Scholars Matter. Realizes backwards. You can't see it. Yeah, I need that. I definitely, I definitely I need that. Not, I don't know how to make it not blurry. And then this one says, hello, I'm a struggling grad student. I also made this one. It says queer scholar. This one says theory is my love language. Um, um, okay, these are the only ones I had. But I also have other similar ones. So definitely check it I out. See. Oh, this one. Muscles and manuscripts. You know? Yes. Hold on. This is all in your link tree? That website's on link tree? Yeah. It's my, yeah, it's on my Etsy. Perfect. That okay, my yeah. link tree is getting long as hell. I thought mine was but... long. I started, I kept scrolling and then I scrolled some more. I'm like, damn, like this is good. Yeah, because I when it. I get partnerships, I have to add the link to my bio. <laughs> exactly. Yo, Jazz, anything that you want to share before we hop off? Um, none that comes none comes to mind, but I'm really grateful that you invited me and this was really fun. And I think um it's always having it's always so fun and interesting to have conversations with people who like aren't doing this work or who aren't in the same field um or the same even the same school um so it was really fun thank you i will be in touch for sure in a partnership and community digital community <laughs> that's what yes. we'll, that's what we'll do but no jazz i appreciate yes. you can't cannot wait to share this episode uh, with the rest of the world because uh, there's a lot they're going to learn, but there's a lot of people that are going to be hitting you up to come speak at their school, conference, institution, program, et cetera. So I hope so. Wait. I don't know. Oh, it's coming. Trust me. It's, yeah. it's, like I said, it's, it's personal. But for everyone else, yo, thank y'all again for tuning in to another episode of Walk with TAB. Um, as you can see, man, we got conversations again across international education, uh, global sport, and Black culture. Um, and this conversation uh, did just that. I look forward to seeing y'all and uh, hearing from y'all next week uh, as we drop another episode. But as always, until then, welcome.